or what is providing your security, your acceptance, and your significance. Because if it's anything related to your body, it is going to disappoint. Welcome, friends, to the Girl Mom Podcast. This is Carrie Kempakis, your host. Today's episode is on a super important topic, especially if you're raising girls. And since my friend Alice is an expert on body positivity, eating disorders, and raising healthy girls, I brought her on as a guest. Alice is a licensed counselor here in Birmingham at Covenant Counseling, where she has worked for 20 years. She's also a certified eating disorder specialist who focuses on adolescents, as well as the host of the amazing Ask Alice podcast. Like me, Alice has a big heart for teen girls, and I love the way that she approaches the hard realities of life with empathy and compassion. Every time I talk to Alice, I feel like I should take notes because I always learn something, and I know that you will enjoy her wisdom as much as I do. My hope is that this episode will help you feel more equipped to talk about this sometimes tricky issue and to also offer a positive framework to build your own healthy relationship with food and your body. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Well, Alice, I'm so excited to have you on the Girl Mom podcast to discuss the issue of body positivity and self-image in girls. But before we begin, would you just tell us a little bit about yourself and why you went into counseling? Absolutely. It's so great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always such a privilege. And I know that you and I have known each other for years around different circles and I'm, I'm grateful to have this time to spend with you. So yes, I got into, into counseling and I knew you know pretty early on that I wanted to work with teenagers. And I think that the Lord has such a sense of humor because I always said, yes, let me work with teenage girls, but I just do not want to do eating disorders. That's the one thing, God, please don't make me do eating disorders. And here I am, <laughs> the, the specialist. <laughs> right. I think that that's that's totally God's humor. But wow. I um I was scared of eating disorders mostly because I had all these horror stories from them. But the more I worked with teenage girls, the more I realized, okay, I've got to know something about this, even if I don't really want to go into it, because it's such a prevalent problem. I need to have some idea of what's going on. And so I really started digging in and studying and learning. And the more I did, the Lord just changed my heart and gave me such a passion for working with um, girls and boys, too, who are struggling with the eating disorders. So that's I kind of got into it by default, but the Lord totally had a plan for it. and, And I'm grateful for it now. I wouldn't change it for the world. Well, and I think it's interesting, you've been doing this work for years, but really, I feel like more in recent years, this has become more of a central conversation, and people are talking more about body positivity and self-image, and even now, like I know at our high school, whenever they do these workshops, that they always include some kind of seminar on body image, because the girls always request that. Right. So it's kind of like your topic has really come to light in the world today, but you know, when you hear about body positivity, how do you define that, and what does that really mean? Well, I think it means different things to different people. You know, I don't think that there's one set definition of body positivity, but I think that, uh, you know, I feel like the world has kind of swung in a pendulum and for a while, you know, and it's, it's interesting too. I think that even you can track it through the decades of the media. You know, if you go back in the media and look at the, the ideal woman from the, the fifties, all right. The ideal woman from the 50s was Marilyn Monroe. Right. right? And we right. know that she was a size maybe 10, 12. Mm-hmm. And then just a decade later in the 60s, the ideal woman was Twiggy, who was a double zero, you know. And so I think that our culture kind of swings back and forth as to what the ideal woman is. And I feel like in the last few years, we're really starting to embrace that there's no such thing as a perfect body, which praise God, we're finally getting to that point where we can say all bodies are healthy. All bodies are good. You know, I I have, uh, thanks to COVID, I, I nixed my gym membership and I've started um, doing these Peloton workouts, you know, just a little app at home. Right. And I really like it because there's one of the trainers on there and she always says, you know, your body is both a masterpiece and a work in progress. 
Oh, I love that. And it's that. at the same time. That's yes, so isn't it great? Yes. And I, th- I so appreciated that because I think that that's, when we think about body positivity, it's embracing the fact that our bodies can be currently a masterpiece created truly by the ma- master, capital M, master. Right. right. But it's also, our bodies can be a work in progress too. So we're able to continue to to get stronger or to embrace the fact that our bodies are going to change throughout the decades, you know? Right. That's normal. That's healthy. Our bodies are going to change different times in life. Our bodies are going to change when we get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are going to, they're going to have these, these differences within them. And so the mindset of body positivity is embracing those different changes and not trying to force our bodies to look into one particular stereotype, no matter what that is or where that came from. Right. And you raised such a great point that having different body types represented and celebrated in the world today, I've always loved those Dove commercials. Yes. I feel like they were one uh-huh. of the first companies to really I do agree. that. Mm-hmm. But even the other day, I was buying some shorts for my daughter on Athleta. Yes. And I went to the website and I, I was know. like, wow, there are so many different bodies right? represented. And they're all happy and healthy and just being active. Yes. And I thought, you know, our world has come so far, especially from where it was when we were growing up. Right. To have different different body types and sizes represented. Exactly. Isn't that great? Yes. I totally agree. Well done, Athleta. I, right. I saw that in the catalog, too, <laughs> and I was like, yes. Yes, yes. Especially when those big companies do it. You know yes. they trickle down. Uh-huh. I totally agree. Okay, I totally awesome. agree. Well, you've also, well, you've been counseling for 20 years. Uh-huh. And I'm kind of curious, especially with the rise and the advent of social media, Ooh. I'm just curious how the whole landscape of body positivity and eating disorders and just self-image has changed during that time. Like, do you think that we have a bigger problem with it now than we did maybe five or 10 years ago, or are we just more open and talking about it? Oh, I don't know that I would say it's a bigger problem. I would say that it's still a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are, while we have made wonderful strides and there are companies like Dove and Athleta who are trying to publicly encourage different body types, I think that there are also the flip side of that, um, which are pretty scary, you know? I mean, I think that there are, there are all kinds of websites, like they call them Pro-Anna, Yes. Um, which are pro-anorexia or pro-mia, pro-bulimia, you know. And so there are tons of different websites that are pro-ana or pro-mia that are really advocating and teaching our our culture how to have an eating disorder, you know. But even if you don't go so far as to those specific websites, I mean, girl, you can look at TikTok mm-hmm. and get be completely inundated with different images and different types and expectations. So between that or all the filters you can put on your Instagram account or whatever it is. I mean, I think that because social media is so in your face, Mm -hmm. it's hard to block that out, you know? Right. You can't unsee what you can't Exactly. You can't unsee that. And so I think that while there are some wonderful strides being made, I do think it's still very much a problem and it's so it's hard to know who is going to be affected by what, you know, because oh, that's interesting. Different people right. have different reactions to things, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's hard to to quantify that as how much of a problem it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it raises the question that we as parents have to be so vigilant. Yes. And really understand our kids to know if they are the kind of ones who will be affected by certain images. Right. That's such a great point. And I mean, you always hear that there are certain personalities that are mm-hmm. often affected. A lot of times it's the, the pleaser uh-huh. or the perfectionist or somebody who's just wanting a little control in their life. And, um, and it is hard as parents to, I always say that, you know, one thing I've learned about parenting as your kids get older is that even if you're saying all the right things at home, they're hearing all the wrong things from the world. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I think moms right. get blamed for everything. Yes. But I know a lot of really awesome, healthy-minded moms whose daughters have ended up with eating disorders right. or, or issues, and it was not the mom's fault necessarily. 
And, you know, I know that sometimes it's just we can't control what's going on in somebody's mind, you know, their perception, the pressure they feel from the world. And so let's talk about some of those things, like maybe some warning signs that Mm -hmm. parents can tune into that Mm -hmm. maybe there's a problem and also maybe a personality type that might Uh be particularly prone and just anything else that you think would help parents just stay on top of this issue. Well, and I think I want to, if you don't mind, can I go back to what you touched on? Because you touched on a really good point about sort of where eating disorders come from, you know, and I think you're right that historically speaking, moms have sort of gotten blamed if their child had an eating disorder. Oh, it's the mom's fault. Your mother made you do, you know, <laughs> right, like all of us right. can blame she moms. Be a for, terrible mom. Right, exactly. exactly. Everybody can blame their mom for anything, <laughs> <That's> you know. Right. <laughs> and I think though, our, our, I want to encourage the moms out there that if your child has an eating disorder and you do pursue treatment, you are not going to get blamed for it. Right. That is a very antiquated um, perception that it's the mom's fault. Right. Right. Even 20 years ago when I started doing this, it was we need to pull the daughter or the the son. I'm going to say daughter just for the sake of girl mom show um, the daughter aside and just do some work with her. And we're basically going to shut the door on mom. And mom needs to be out. She needs to be out of the picture. We need to figure out what's going on just to get mom away. And that is just wrong. It is wrong. And we know now that the the parents are such an integral part Mm -hmm. of a child's treatment and their recovery. So we know that when we think about eating disorders in particular, we call it a biopsychosocial model okay. of treatment, all right? Because we know that it's not any one particular thing, right? There are biological components, okay. there are horm- hormonal components, there are genetic components, and so it's very common for kids who have an eating disorder to come from families who maybe generationally, even the grandmother oh, wow. Yes, wow. had had trouble with eating, whether mm-hmm. it was diagnosed or not. But so it's that like mentality. It, absolutely. It's an addiction. Yes. Addictions are addictions. Yes. So there's that biological component to it too. But then there's the psychological component mm-hmm. to it, right? Where a lot of times it is co- accompanied by um, anxiety, depression, all of those kind of emotional pieces. We know that there's the social component. Who is the child around? What are they watching on TikTok? Who are the YouTubers that they're following? Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a social component to it too. And I add the, the a fourth component, which to me is a spiritual component. So I would say that there's also a spiritual piece to a child Um, struggling with an eating disorder. And so when we are treating a child, we need to look at all of those different components too, because to me, spiritually, you can't separate the the body and the soul. Uh, I think that the Lord has created us to have those very integrated. And so we have to be able to approach from a spiritual standpoint, all right, what's going on with you and God? Right. Where are you standing with that? So I think I I want to encourage the parents out there that you aren't going to get blamed. Don't don't hesitate to get your child some help um, because we want parents to be very, very involved in the treatment process. Yes, I totally agree. And I often think that, you know, that's one of the reasons I wrote a book for moms of teen girls, because I started thinking if if I really want to help teenage girls, you know, then I need to encourage that relationship between the person who would lay down their life for them, the person who's with them every day, the person who would do anything for them and cares about their well-being more than anybody else on the planet. And I started thinking, you know, if a girl read my book or came to an event, that's a one-time thing, but their mom's the one who's there every day. And I think it's the same with eating disorders that you can see a therapist and Mm -hmm. maybe even do outpatient or inpatient therapy. But after that, you, you still need somebody monitoring you and encouraging you and just keeping tabs and a pulse on your health. And typically, it's going to be the mom. It, it, so absolutely. I love that that's kind of the trend now in counseling. Well, and, and we know, parents. too, I mean, just even practically speaking. So, you know, when a child is struggling with an eating disorder, it, it is great for them to come to counseling. I, I think that's wonderful. I want to do that. But I know as the, the, the primary therapist, mm-hmm. my job while a child is malnourished and underfed, my whole job is just to establish a relationship with them. 
just to build rapport. Mm -hmm. We are going to talk about movies. We're going to talk about school. We're going to talk about guys. We're going to talk about whatever it is, right? right? But all I'm trying to do is just build a relationship because their brain is not capable of understanding those deeper components that are driving the eating disorder. And so that's why when I work with a client, I'm not going to take an eating disorder client on Mm -hmm. unless I know that they're also seeing a dietitian, that they have a medical doctor who is checking their vital signs and making sure that they are are, um, healthy and stable to do the activities that they're doing. And I include a family therapist because mom and dad need somebody in their corner. They need somebody who can say, all right, I'm going to coach you through how to help your child and what to say when your child simply will not eat, Mm -hmm. you know, and and things like that. We need, this is a team effort. And so we need all these people on the team to, to help us out. So really, nutritionally speaking, that's where mom a lot of times comes in because we will have moms who need to prepare the food, who portion the food, because a, a person with a, an eating disorder who's struggling simply does not have the mental capability to make choices. Oh, and wow. so saying to them, what do you want for lunch? Mm. Somebody with an eating disorder truly cannot make that decision. Really? No. Wow. They are so overwhelmed with food and their mm-hmm. brains are so malnourished that they can't do that. We have to step in for them and say, this is what we're having for lunch, period. I'm taking it off the table. You don't have to make any decisions about it. Now, as they get healthier, Mm -hmm. then absolutely we start giving some of those choices and that freedom back to them. But initially speaking, the the moms have such a a huge role. And I say moms, it could be moms or dads. Right. But they have such an integral role in just stabilizing the the child. Right. That's so neat. And you're right about the fathers too. I mean, I have a friend from high school that had an eating disorder and she told me it was her father that would sit there and eat breakfast with her every day and that monitored her meals. Right. And she said, in my family, he was a little bit more of the stable one. Uh Right. My mom would get so upset. And so, you know, sometimes we get so emotional when our kids are facing an issue. And so it's one of her best memories of her dad. He passed away a few years ago, but that's, you know, one of the things that she realizes how much he loved her, that he sat there and did that for her every day for six months. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. And so, yes, yes you're I right. Mean, so huge. we can't discount the dads. No, too. not they at all. can play a role. Okay. Well, a couple of years ago, you told me, <clears throat> and I've since heard about it many other times, but you told me about a new eating disorder called orthorexia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we've always heard of binging. We've heard of anorexia. And this is a new one. Uh-huh. And the interesting thing about orthorexia, now that I'm aware of it, is basically a preoccupation with healthy food uh-huh. and at least a malnourishment because your diet gets so limited. You cut out all these things until maybe you're eating maybe 10 items a day or mm-hmm. less. Mm-hmm. And so the thing about orthorexia is I feel like it can really fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, I've heard my girls come home before and say, oh, you know, so-and-so so is healthy. She's, she's a vegetarian and now she's cutting out milk. And it looks like healthy eating. And I think it can fly under the radar as though she's just getting healthy. Mm-hmm. But if it gets to that point where they're not getting the nourishment they need, then it can really cause problems. And I do feel like um, in certain communities now where maybe image is very important, I feel like that's really the eating disorder that has become the most prominent. But a lot of parents have never heard about it before. So can you tell us a little bit about orthorexia and maybe what are some of the warning signs about that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you nailed it. You you got it, girl. Yeah, so orthorexia is, it is not an official um, eating disorder. So we have a, it's, it's called the DSM, and that's where we have all of our um, mental illnesses in a, in a book, basically for insurance purposes and for criteria and that kind of thing. So orthorexia is not yet recognized as an official um, eating disorder quite yet. Um, I have no doubt that it is on its way because it is such a huge um, problem. Um, and I think that it is becoming very culturally cool, if, mm-hmm. if for lack of a better word, you know? Right. So it is. So if you think about the word, so let's start with anorexia. So an, you know, is the absence of orexia is eating. All right. Oh, so okay. anorexia is the absence of eating. Okay. So orthorexia, ortho is righteous. Think 
think like oh, orthodox. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So really, orthorexia is defined as righteous eating. Wow. Okay. Okay. So that's what we're talking about when we when we talk about orthorexia. It can look a lot of different ways. It can look like I am only going to eat um, gluten-free, whatever. Now, if you have a gluten allergy, I'm not saying don't eat gluten-free, okay? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but if you don't have a gluten allergy, you can have gluten, right. you know? Or it can it can look like I'm only going to have organic, free-range, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever adjectives you want to add to the food, right? Mm. But what happens is, the problem happens is when we start saying, okay, I'm only going to have whole grain bread. And then from whole grain bread, it turns into, well, now I'm only going to have sprouted, now sprouted bread. And then from sprouted bread, it turns into, I don't, I don't really need bread. I'm just going to cut out that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it slowly, gradually begins cutting out entire food groups. And that's the scary part. Our bodies need, we have micros and we have macros. All right. Mm -hmm. Our macros are proteins, carbs, and fats. We need all of those. Those are what we have to have just to live. Mm -hmm. All right. The micros that we have, the micronutrients are fruits and vegetables, you know, all of those kind of added icings on the cake, right? Right. That gives us a quality of life, not a quantity of life. Okay. Okay. So we have to have both of those. And so orthorexia is scary is because we're starting to cut out different food groups when we need all of the food groups. Carbs are not bad. Mm-hmm. Carbs are your friends. All right? <laughs> right. I tell that over and over again. It is okay to have some bread. Please go eat some bread. Okay. Right. You can have that slice of pizza. You can have yeah. that slice of pizza and you can enjoy every last bit of it. Right. And if you're still hungry, you can go back and get another slice of pizza. That's okay too. That's you know? right. Right. So with with orthorexia, we have to just be careful um, a lot of times people who struggle with orthorexia are not comfortable going out to eat mm-hmm. um, because they don't know who has prepared their food or what has gone into the food. They don't know if there has been some extra butter put in that they wouldn't put into the food. And so, oh, wow. They're yeah, thinking about every little, every detail. little thing. And, mm-hmm. and it leads to such isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we find people who aren't willing to go out to dinner anymore or aren't willing to have meals with somebody else, things like that, that kind of ties into what you're saying as some warning signs. Right. That that would be something that we would watch out for. But ultimately, it, it leads to more and more social isolation because food is, food is a social event. Um, and when we take that piece out of it, then it leads to a whole lot of isolation. Right. So a lot of times orthorexia then turns into anorexia. Got it. So that's the the path that we have to be careful of. Yes. And I could see too, just the, the brain space that that takes up, mm-hmm. how that leads to the isolation too. Because yeah. if you're with your friends and you're eating dinner, but you can't enjoy the company of your friends because you're sitting there fixated on the food or what what you're eating then that takes, you know, that's going to affect your relationships. It is. And, and it's, it affects, it affects everything Mm -hmm. because you're also thinking, okay, well, let me think if I had, I had broccoli and um, cauliflower for lunch today, then I'm going to have green beans and um, maybe a little bit of salmon for dinner. And you know, so the meal planning is a constant, that's a full-time job. Right. Trying to research, all right, what do I need to have? What do I have? How do I cut that out? Should I have that? Maybe I shouldn't. Oh, no. There's the fear coming into it. But Mm. you're you're absolutely right. The headspace is completely taken up Mm -hmm. by all things food-related. Right. Yes. One thing that we've also really seen in recent years is the boom of the wellness industry. I think in some ways it's good. We become more educated. We know more as a generation. We have a lot more options of how to get healthy and um, and all of that. But in some ways, I do think that it's created kind of an idol in our culture as we've become really preoccupied with yeah. getting healthy. And like I said, it can take up a lot of brain space like any preoccupation with food or your body can. Right. And also we've had all these coaches and gurus come out of the woodworks, you know, helping 
helping offer to help right. us live our best lives and all of that. You know, some of them are trained. Some of them are not. Right. Some of them have a healthy mindset. Some of them do not. Yep. And it's really important, I think, that if we are trying to get somebody to help us to really make sure that they're legit and they're going to guide us in the right direction. So just kind of talk about where we are as a culture, um, especially maybe compared to five years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, are we on a better track to health and wellness? Um, or are we a lot more misguided because uh-huh. there's more of that toxic diet culture and that restrictive eating and all of these 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 meal plans that do require cutting out certain food groups right. that are really important. Yeah, and, and I think that that's exactly where you have to go. You have to, to look at, well, I, I would say just bare basic stuff. Look at the, the credentials mm-hmm. of the person who is offering the advice, all right? Um, registered dietitians have to go through significant training. You can be a wellness coach because you called yourself a wellness coach. Right. <laughs> you don't have to have actual training in order to call yourself a wellness coach. Right. right. So find out who really is offering this advice to you. So I would say just start right there. All mm-hmm. right. But you're right. Anybody that is suggesting that we cut out certain food groups is not healthy. That is not a healthy, sustainable way to live. We know that the diet industry is massive. Mm -hmm. It is a massive money-making industry. And so the media and the culture want you to buy into this because you're spending your money. You know, I think it was in 2013, a study came out that Americans, Americans alone, spent $60 billion Uh -uh. on improving their bodies. Wow. In one year? In one year. Oh, my word. But, and, and Carrie, that was in 2013. Yeah. That was like 10 years ago. Right. And now with right. social media, exactly. you know that $60 billion. Y'all, this is such a money-making industry mm-hmm. by the diet culture, all right? And we know that diets don't work. Right. 99% of the people who go on a diet are going to regain that same weight within the next year. Diets don't work. All right. Right. So whether it's a fad diet or cutting certain things out, it's not going to work because your body needs all nutrients in order to sustain life. And when you deprive it from that, it's going to go into the starvation and self-preservation modes Mm -hmm. so that when you try to reintroduce it, you have a whole host of other issues. Namely, it is not uncommon for me to see Uh, a a girl come into my office with anorexia, Mm -hmm. all right? And as she starts eating, her brain is so starved, it didn't know when it was going to get food again. Oh, wow. And so her brain switches a gear, and what started with anorexia, then, talk about that pendulum, it swung the entire opposite direction, and then she's got a, a binge eating problem. That's so funny. I just read an article about that the other day. Yeah. And I didn't understand how does that work. That's it. Because your brain desperately knows what it needs. And if it has been restricted, not only are you jacking up your metabolism, right. but your brain itself is saying, I don't know. I don't trust you oh, to feed wow. me. Wow. And therefore, I'm going to keep saying, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And so that's why it's so important that we have a good dietitian who understands nutrition and eating disorders mm-hmm. if your child is struggling in that capacity. But I think to me, Carrie, it, it boils down to balance. Right. All of life boils down to balance. And moderation. And moderation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There is nothing wrong with eating an apple. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> right. But there is nothing wrong with eating a Snickers. Right. <laughs> There's nothing because that's balance. Now, are you going to eat a Snickers all day, every day? No. Right. Because that's not balance. <laughs> and that's not moderation. Yeah. But are you going to eat an apple all day, every day? No, because <laughs> that's not balance and moderation either. Mm-hmm. And so I really think that it's taking our culture's mindset of this black and white thinking mm-hmm. that food is either good or bad, right. right or wrong, clean or not clean, healthy or unhealthy. Mm-hmm. It's taking these dichotomies that we have created as a culture and turning them into a whole comprehensive view of this gray area that food is just food. <laughs> right. Food is fuel. Right. That's all it is. 
You don't get mad at your car when it needs gas. <laughs> that's true. That's a great analogy. That is all that's happening when you're hungry. Right. Your body needs some more gas. Right. That's a great point. Well, I love it. You know, and what advice would you give to moms who want to stay ahead of this conversation with their daughters? Maybe they, they want to talk about body positivity and even raise awareness of how eating disorders can develop, which I personally think is such an important conversation mm-hmm. to stay ahead of. But I also know that there are some moms out there that worry about, like, if I talk about this, I might give them the wrong ideas. I might plant seeds that lead them down an unhealthy path. Um, I've always taken the approach with my daughters is just, like I said, staying ahead of that conversation, saying, you're going to see this. If you are ever on that track, I want you to come talk to me. You know, I want us to have these open conversations and you watch me too. I mean, this is like a mutual thing that we're all here to help each other. But what would you give, what would you advise moms, especially with younger daughters, how to stay ahead of that conversation, but frame it in the right way. Right. Well, and, and I think your your approach is absolutely uh, correct. You can't go wrong by having a dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I encourage parents, I mean, if from day one, I mean, if even if you have elementary age kids, right. talk about your body. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really cool that we can frame it, that God gave us this body, mm-hmm. right? And we can celebrate this gift that God has given us in our body. And so instead of approaching your body as how it looks or how much it weighs or that kind of thing, let's change that dialogue to approaching your body with what it can do. Right. Wow. Look how strong your legs are. Mm -hmm. That's amazing that you can run. What a gift that is, you know? Right. Look at your stomach. Your stomach is so important. If it weren't for your stomach, you wouldn't be able to sit upright. Okay, let's let's change the dialogue mm-hmm. from the appearance piece to the function piece. Yeah. So starting there, but I mean, just exactly what you're saying, having this open dialogue of, you know, I have never, ever, not once met a woman who in some way, shape or form did not struggle with her body image. Yes. Never. Uh, not once. Right. At some point in At life. At some point in yes, life. Exactly. Everyone. Yes. Yep. And so we can either pretend like it's not an issue mm-hmm. or that we've all got our, our stuff together and that we don't deal with that, right. or we can open that dialogue. We can drop the shame that has come with it. Mm-hmm. And we can say, you know what? I am not having a good day. I do not feel good in this shirt. Right. I am frustrated with how my jeans are fitting today. You know, <laughs> right. like, let's just talk about it. Right. Because that's where that empathy can come in. And you can be like, girl, I get it. I went <laughs> yes. bathing suit shopping and it was really hard. Yes. Right. We can have that kind of conversation and we want to do that with our kids. Yes. Let them know that, that you are somebody that they can come and talk to when they are having a bad day, because yes. they're going to, and they are going to hear about this. The seeds have already been planted. Right. And, and I do think it's so important for us to remember as moms that there are opportunities all the time, just as we live our lives with our children, to have those conversations. And to really, sometimes if we talk about it from our perspective, it really takes, it takes the focus off them mm-hmm. and just you can plant some good seeds yeah, that way. Yeah, I love but it. I remember one year, it was, my kids were little, I think I had two or three of them, and I was trying on dresses for Easter. Uh-huh. I was in the Saks dressing room, and I tried on this beautiful dress that I loved, and uh-huh. I'm putting it over, and it kind of gets stuck on my hips. Like, you know that feeling? <laughs> I totally when you're tra- And I'm like, oh. No. And, I, and I'm like, thinking, little eyes are watching, little eyes are watching. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, part of me wanted to cry because I'm like, this is the size I normally wear. I have right. to go up a size. Right. And, um, but I just like, just laugh about it. Yeah. Like, oh. Girls, I guess I need to get a bigger size and don't make a big deal. Because in that moment, I was like, I know one day my girls will be teenagers. I know that we're going to be trying on clothes and there's going to be something that fits them this way. Right. That their normal size does not work. And I don't want them to freak out. I want them to be like, okay, I need to go up a size. And so I do think, you know, and on the other flip side, I remember I've talked to my girls about this too, that it was after one, I think it was after Marie Claire, my third child was born. I was, you know, breastfeeding and had gotten really thin, but I started having some stomach issues. Mm-hmm. I was just not really healthy, mm-hmm. but I was really, really thin. Mm-hmm. So I was getting a lot of compliments, but I remember like not feeling well. And I remember trying to work out during that season. Uh-huh. And I, I just remember thinking, this is not worth it. Like right? I'm a lot skinnier than normal, but uh-huh. I don't feel strong uh-huh. and I miss feeling strong. Right. And just to really emphasize that, you know, you can be skinny, but not healthy Absolutely. and not be able to do the things that you want to do. 
Right. And I think that's so important for them to hear. Oh, I totally agree with you. It's mm-hmm. so important to hear. And and I mean, again, your your brain knows what it needs. So you can be skinny all day long. But if your brain is not fed, you ain't happy. Right. You're going to be super <laughs> grumpy, you know? Right. That is not a fun place to be. You're not living life when you're doing that. But I, I love the the dressing room story because that's such a perfect example of how our kids are watching us. Right. And that we as parents really do, as much as parents are absolutely involved in the treatment process, we as parents can also be... Um, involved in the preventative measures Mm -hmm. that can help our kids to not have to go down that road. And part of that is addressing our own body image issues, you know? Yes. And like you said, we all have them. We all have (laughs) them. And that's another, you know, I mentioned having a family therapist Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what a family therapist can do is help mom or dad look at their own ideals towards food and what did you grow up in and what are the values that you are assigning to a certain body size or type. Right. And really help the the entire system make some changes because our kids pick up on everything that we say. And if we make comments about other people being fat or gaining weight or whatever, I'm telling you, our kids are going to hear that and that is going to sink into them and they are going to interpret it that, oh, well, if I ever do that, mom and dad are going to talk about me the same way that they have been talking about so-and-so. Right. They'll be ashamed of me. They will be ashamed of me. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think as parents, we can, we can teach our kids that they are, they are not defined by a number. Mm-hmm. And I cannot stress that enough. You know, they are not defined by the size of their clothes or the number on the scale mm-hmm. or uh, the number of calories or the number grade that they receive, or the number salary that they ever achieve, we are not defined by a number. Right. And whenever we let that number mindset infiltrate our heart, it, it leads to such a dark and empty place. Scripture never, not once, says that our worth is based on a number. Not once. You cannot find that in the Bible. Yes, you can't find that's it. That's such a great point. You know? You're right. Yes. It is, it is worth, it is defined by all these other attributes, but not once is it defined by a number. So why are we defining ourselves by a certain number, whatever that number is? Mm-hmm. And, and you raised a great point too about how our body constantly changes. And it is so true, you know, and I think that, I think where a lot of us get hung up, and I know I've been guilty of this and everybody's been guilty of this, is that you look back on pictures and Mm -hmm. like your idea of what your body should look like is maybe what it looked like at this age or when you felt the best. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we get fixated on. And we do forget that our body changes, our hormones change. right? And again, that can steal so much joy and brain space when we're fixated on that. And, you know, instead of just getting ready in the morning, we're staring in the mirror and picking out every flaw right. and every defect. Right. And, um, and I had a, I've had some interesting conversations with friends as I've been writing my next book. And, you know, I've been asking a lot of my friends, like, what are you talking about with your friends? And one of them recently said, she's a few years older than me. She just turned 50. And she goes, I feel like all of us are talking about how our bodies are changing mm-hmm. right now. And it's hard. And it made me think, it's so true because I feel like all of our issues from the teenage years, a lot of us kind of come to a good place in our 30s and our 40s. We have children. You see what your body can do. You don't have time sometimes to fixate on it. Right. But then as your body approaches 50 and you really, your your looks start to notably decline and your body starts shifting and hormones are kicking in and you know, you feel like you ate that pizza last night. You feel like it's like stuck on you. Uh-huh. you feel like it's just like, you feel like you gained three pounds overnight. Uh-huh. Like, and so how do you come to peace with your body as it changes and continue loving it different, during different seasons, mm-hmm. even if it's still that work in progress yeah. to realize that it is still that masterpiece at the same time. Right, right. Well, and I think it's interesting too. I want to come back, come to that, but I think it's interesting too that you know, we do have very definitive times in our lives that our bodies change, Mm -hmm. you know, and when a child is hitting puberty, um, usually it's somewhere between nine and 12 years old. And they literally call it for girls. They literally call it a fat spurt. Like, I don't know who came up with that phrase, (laughs) but (laughs) both of those words are horrible, fat and spurt, you know, but you can Google it. There's a fat spurt, you know, and so a lot of girls are going through this weight dist- distribution at this pre 
puberty and puberty age that mom is looking at. And if you don't know that that's normal and that's healthy, then that says to mom, oh my gosh, what is going on? She's gaining so much weight, da 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 right? Right. At the same time, that mom <laughs> is probably approaching 40s, the 50s, those kind of age ranges, and her body is changing <laughs> at the same time. Right. So now she's not only internalizing her body changes, she's seeing her daughter's body changes, mm-hmm. and then it just creates this perfect storm of chaos and anxiety. When really, if we can know that all of those changes are normal, like this is a normal, healthy thing for our body to go through, Mm -hmm. you know? It is. It goes back to the education and the awareness. It does. It really does. Yeah. So I I do think approaching that, you know, as your body changes, it is really good to embrace how it's changed and what what your body can do for you instead of just how it looks, you know? And I think really being able to say, I am able, I may not weigh what I weighed when I was 20, but I can still go to baseball games and I can still engage in these relationships with my kids and I'm still living life. And in being able to embrace my body is so much more than an appearance. Mm -hmm. It's so much more. That is just the outside piece. Right. You know, I think that you know, we know that the three basic needs for for kids, but for adults too, are security, acceptance, and significance. All right, so we know security happens when our we feel like our world is stable. All right, when for a child, you know, if that security is being shaken, for instance, if um, if mom and dad divorce. Mm-hmm. If they change schools, even if it's a normal transition from elementary to middle school, that is a threat to a child's security, right? right. So knowing that that is there, their acceptance, hello, social media, <laughs> yeah. right? Hello, prom dates, all of those, I didn't make cheerleading. That's acceptance right there, mm-hmm. all right? And then there's significance, that sense that they have something good to say, that they have a purpose in this world, that there is a plan for their life, right? So I encourage parents, ask your child and ask yourself, who or what is providing your security, your acceptance, and your significance? Because if it's anything related to your body, it is going to disappoint. Right. It is not going to sustain you. It is not going to last, and it's not going to satisfy. It will never be enough. People who say to me, I just want to lose five pounds, that is a joke. (laughs) Because those five pounds is going to turn into five more pounds. Right. And five more pounds, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. It will never satisfy. And so helping our kids and, and embracing for ourselves this sense that God has created me who I am today, for this reason, for this purpose, and how can I now glorify him? Because that's where my security, my acceptance, and my significance have to come from. Right. And I always I always think about, too, just, you know, helping them remember that we're here to make an eternal impact and not a temporary splash. And I always mm, think, I like okay, that. if you get more beautiful, if your body gets perfect, you're not really helping somebody else become a better person. Right. <laughs> you know, you're, it's not really helping anyone. Right. It might be impressing people. Right. But it's not really serving a bigger purpose. And so I do, I think you're so right that just helping our children see their bodies is this is a tool to help you serve out your purpose. Exactly. And a bigger calling in exactly. life. And, you, and we talked about, you know, the influence of a mom and, you know, we don't want to blame moms for everything, but we do know that a lot of eating disorders and body issues come from mothers. And I was reading something interesting a few weeks ago, just in research for my new book, that it said the fastest growing segment of the population having eating disorders is actually middle-aged women. Yeah. Which I was like, wow. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, my daughter and I were having a conversation that she was talking about, you know, a lot of the TikTokers who talk about their eating disorders say that they really kind of got started by their moms mm. because, and it was their moms, I'm sure they thought they were sending a good message, but they were overly healthy, exercising, you know, two or three hours a day, living right. on lettuce and tomatoes and right. barely enough food, not getting their own nutrition and watching their moms really inspired them to, to pick up that lifestyle too. Right. And so I guess let's talk about that a little bit, not not to shame anyone because right. like I said, we all have our own issues, but just right. to be mindful of what we're doing as moms and to realize 
if we're on, if we're trying to be healthy, but maybe not on the healthiest track, to really think about how we can kind of step back and just change our ways a little bit, if not for ourselves, then for the sake of our children. Right. I, I totally agree with you. And I think that, I, I think we say moms just because moms are the ones that our kids are around the most. Right. You know, I, I think that that's a mom thing by default. Yes. If our child was around the dog most of the time <laughs> and the dog had some some issues, yes. that's what they the would pick up on. Right. The exactly. exactly. The finger would be pointing to the dog. Right. <laughs> so I, I think that we have to, like you said, take that shame piece out of it and recognize that all of us have a relationship with food. Mm-hmm. All right. Food and emotions go hand in hand. So I'm speaking specifically to the adults now of what is your relationship with food? Mm-hmm. Do you use food as a, a celebration? You know, is food a reward? Is food something that, oh, I worked out really hard today, so I get to treat myself with, you know, what X, Y, or Z? Right. So I really encourage families and parents to to look at their relationship with food because what their relationship with food is, is going to naturally, by default, trickle down into their child's relationship with food, mm-hmm. you know? And so if, if mom or dad has a very strict mindset, again, going into that black and white thinking of like, oh, I can never have a piece of cake, or, oh, yay, I did good today, yay me, I'm going to have cake then the child is going to learn, oh, cake is something that's an emotionally charged, happy experience, right? right? You have to earn it. You You have to earn it. it. Yes, Yes. exactly. You Mm -hmm. have to earn it. Um, Whereas if we can approach food the the same very neutral way of like, it's just a piece of cake. Right. (laughs) And if I want a piece of cake, I can have a piece of cake. I don't have to have some kind of pat on the back in order to earn my piece of cake. Right. (laughs) Right. That's a great point. Then we can, so we're establishing just this overall mindset. So I would encourage parents to go and really evaluate what are the, what are the food choices? What are the things that you learned growing up from your mom? Or from your childhood, mm-hmm. you know, what are the, the body shaming messages that you received and how can you now recognize those, do your own work and heal from those so that you're not continuing on that generational, I hate to say curse, but generational threat right. to your own children too. Right. I think that's a great point. And, um, and talking about having those conversations, I also think about just really preparing our daughters. I mean, I've got one about to go to college next year and we've always talked about, you know, healthy eating and body image and all that. But I'm like, you know, you're going to see a lot of eating disorders in college because, and you know, it's kind of easy to understand. I mean, all of a sudden you're surrounded by gorgeous girls everywhere. Right. And especially now with social media. Right. And I even remember being in college and thinking, how will I ever get a guy? Like, right. Everybody around me is gorgeous, smart, you know, like, you feel like you have to compete. Right. And so for a girl, you know, that sometimes it's really easy to get caught up in that. And you just get in that mentality of like, whatever it takes to look the way that I want, which can really lead to some unhealthy patterns. So I guess anything else that you can think of just conversations that moms can have, mindsets that we can help establish, just things that we can tell them up front to just try to give them a heads up of like, you know, this is very common. I hate it, but it's very common. Again, if you ever feel like you're going down that path or a friend, I want you to be able to, you know, the easy, the quicker you jump on an issue, the, the easier it is to try to manage it and to not let it blow up into a bigger issue. Yeah. But just really being open about those conversations right. rather than being ashamed or letting it, you know, be go under the rug, hide right. under the rug like it might have in our generation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think you're right that in our generation, fewer things were talked about. And I think that there was mm-hmm. a, a stronger delineation, no offense, mom and dad, But I think that there was a stronger delineation between I am the parent and you are the child and you will do what I say. And and there was not as much of a relational aspect as we can have and we do have typically with our kids today. And so I think it's like you said, letting them have that dialogue and saying, hey, I just need you to have the heads up Mm -hmm. that you're going to experience this. Um, I've said before that the first tracks are the deepest Oh, that's good. And so good. let us, let, as mom and dad, I want to be the one to lay the first tracks mm-hmm. on a ch- for a child, whether it's with sex or body image or whatever it is. The first tracks are the deepest. 
they are going to get laid by somebody somewhere, whether it's TikTok, social media, a boyfriend, whatever. I would rather me be the one who's laying those first tracks than anybody else. So be the one to have those conversations and open up that dialogue. And I think that this is where I encourage parents to really lean in and not be afraid of having those awkward, hard conversations. This is hard. Yes. But if you have ever concerns, if you see your child um, losing weight, if you see your child, you know, it's very common for people struggling with food to take on baking and cooking. You know, the most common industry for someone struggling with an eating disorder is waitressing. Really? Yes, because their brains are so starved, literally starved. They want to be around food. Interesting. But it gives this sense of control that I am going to serve you food. I'm not going to eat the food. I'm going to watch you serve the food. So watching for kids who love to bake but Mm -hmm. never actually enjoy the things that they cooked. They're always giving it away. Interesting. Or if they're going to youth group and they know it's pizza night, and there's some kind of emotionally charged, I don't want to go. Now, it might just be a teenage being a punk, right? right? Which there's that. Right. But it can also be something that's maybe something's going on, you right. know? So kind of looking for some changes that are happening in your child's behavior. Be aware of those things and don't be afraid to mention those. And when you do mention those, come to them in a very loving honey, I'm worried about you, Mm -hmm. all right? And what you want to do is stick with the facts. I'm worried about you because I've noticed you don't want to go to pizza night at youth group anymore. Right. That's a very concrete fact that you can apply to, right? Right. And so from there, then you can start the dialogue of, I'm just wondering if you're struggling with some food stuff Mm -hmm. or I'm just worried about you and wondered if we could talk. You know, right. and so you're you're approaching it not from the you're in trouble or what's your problem. Just eat, just right. eat it, because it's not about just eating. Um, there's, there's a whole mental. Component. There's a whole mental. I love. Mm-hmm. There's a great line that says, um, "It's not about what you're eating; it's about what's eating you." Oh, that's good. Isn't that great? Yes, yes. That's good. I totally yes. agree. That's my job. The right. dietitian's job is to get them to eat. My job is to find out what's eating them. Right. Where is this coming from? Where is this stemming from? What's underneath the food piece? Well, and, and what do you think? So if somebody does have a concern with their child, what do you think is that first step? Do you, because you talked about the whole, having the team, which eventually if it's a full-fledged problem, you definitely want to have the team. Right. But would your starting point be seeing your pediatrician or seeing a counselor like you or seeing a dietitian? What do you think? If a mom realizes this is a little bit out of my league right. and I want to be ahead of this issue that I feel like my daughter's having, what do you think is the first step? So I would say start with your pediatrician okay? because we we have to know that they are medically stable. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that first and foremost, and your pediatrician has been monitoring their weight and their growth charts since day one. Right. And so that's a great indicator of, ah, maybe we should look into this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, So I would say start there, then find a counselor, find someone that your child can talk to. And then the counselor is probably going to be the one to say, I think we need to pull in a dietitian or a family therapist or whoever else to help create the team. Got it. Um, But yeah, I think that your pediatricians are such a great advocate. And I think that sometimes they are underused. Yes, I agree. You know, but they really are great. If your child is struggling with emotional stuff or, you know, whatever it is, go to that pediatrician. Right. I know our pediatricians, luckily, we've always been friends with our pediatrician. Uh And a lot of them have had daughters, my daughter's age. And so I just feel like there's so much more than just the medical part, like right. even conversations they exactly. have. And like you said, they've, they've just built that trust over the years. Yes. And so I think, and they have seen them since they were eight pounds as a right. baby. You know, right. They've seen every step of the way. They know what's typical and what's not typical. So if someone is feeling stuck right now, if they, they hate their body, they hate their appearance, they're giving too much mind space to their body or to food. And they've been listening to these negative scripts for years, and they just don't know how to unwire themselves. Yeah. What would you advise for a mom to do to get herself in a good place to be able to help her children? 
Uh, well, I, I think you're exactly right to, to say to start with the mom. Mm-hmm. And, and I do always say that before we can help anybody else, it's kind of like the airline mask. You know, you got to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you can put it on anybody else. And so that's exactly where I would encourage moms of let's let's really look at your body image and what's going on with you so that then you can go and help your child too. So go to a counselor, find somebody that you can talk to. You know, there's some great resources out there that I think are super helpful mm-hmm. that really embrace the the notion of, of body image and what's going on with that. Um, one of the first things that I do when I'm working with somebody is introduce this notion of ED and ED stands for eating disorder. And so I'll talk about how it's kind of like the devil and the angel on either side of your shoulder. But yeah. we have Ed, who is talking to Alice, right? And Ed and Alice are constantly in a conversation with each other. <laughs> okay. And so one of the things that I'll do is help parents and, and individuals pull those pieces out. Because Ed is saying to Alice, oh my gosh, I cannot believe you just ate another piece of pizza tonight. That was so wrong. You're going to have to exercise so much harder tomorrow, right? Right. And Alice says... But I was hungry and I needed some food and food is fuel, right? And then Ed's like, but I can't believe you do know what you're going to look like. Your butt's going to be so big, right? And then Alice is like, but my clothes still fit today. I don't know, right? right? So it's this constant battle in our brains of who's right and who am I going to listen to. Mm-hmm. So really starting by let's sift out those voices, all right? And whose voice is that Ed voice? Was that really your mom talking mm-hmm. to you from way back when? Mm-hmm. What about that boyfriend? Remember that boyfriend who who made fun of you or, or talked behind your back? Was that really his voice that you're hearing? Oh, interesting. Right. Could, what was that comment? That exactly, that comment. Yes. Where is that coming from? What was that shame? Mm-hmm. Because that's what this comes down to. What was that shame? You know, shame is that feeling, not that I've done something wrong, but that I am wrong. Oh, that's good. I am yeah. messed up, right? Mm-hmm. Guilt is I've done something wrong. Right. So I'm going to be punished, right? If right. I forget your birthday, then I feel guilty because you're going to be mad at me, right? Right. Well, shame, on the other hand, is not that I have done something to mess up, but I am messed up. Mm. And that's where food stuff comes. And with shame comes that fear of abandonment. Not the fear of punishment, but the fear of abandonment. I am messed up and therefore nobody is going to love me. Nobody is going to be there for me. I'm not going to have any, any body around me. And that's where that fear can come from. And that's whether it's for us or for our child, that's the root of so much of this body image stuff is, and that's where that security, mm-hmm. acceptance and significance all come back into play Right. Because it's tapping into our shame stuff. So, and it's so interesting because you always hear how, you know, women value relationships even more so than men. Yeah. And so if your fear is abandonment. Exactly. And losing your relationships, then for a female, that is especially scary. Exactly. And if for a female mom. Yes. I don't know any moms who want to not have a great relationship with their kids. Right. Right. You know? And so, I mean, I think it's it's a whole different level of relational anxiety that comes from that. Right. Oh, mm. well, do you have, I mean, we could talk on this subject. For I know girl. Years. I love it. I mean, I love it too. And I think it's so important and I just so appreciate you coming and sharing all your wisdom and we might have to have a spinoff episode. Let's do it. We talked about so many good things, but um, just any final words of encouragement to any moms listening, whether they're raising daughters or sons or just trying to get themselves in a healthy place, what would you give as a final encouragement? Um, seek, do some, do some self-care, hold the mirror up and really see what's there, the, the real mirror or the emotional mirror. And so I, I encourage parents to go and get a check-in, whether it's with a a counselor, a new counselor or a pastor or a really good friend, Mm -hmm. have this dialogue with each other and have somebody that you can stay accountable to and that you can call when you feel like you're having a fat day mm-hmm. or an ugly day or a bad hair day. You know, we all need those people in our life. Um, we need to, to open up that level of vulnerability and start the dialogue because all of us are feeling it. Right. You are not alone. 
it takes that first step of courage to be willing to go to that person. But I, I beg you to muster up that courage to start the conversation. And just when you go to that person, just to like hear my struggles, yeah. to lay it out on the table and find people to help you process. I think just processing life with people. And right. Just, let me take what's going on inside of me. Right. Because nobody can see that. Nope. You know, if we don't tell somebody, they're not going to know. Yeah, exactly. But just laying that on the table. Right. Okay. I agree. Well, good. Alice, thank you so much. This has been so helpful for me too, as a mom of girls and just for my own journey um, as a woman and trying to get healthy and stay healthy, but do it in moderation. So absolutely. It's always a pleasure. I know. We'll do it again. But um, thanks for encouraging our listeners and I hope everybody has a great day and is able to take a lot of these great, awesome tips that Alice gave us and incorporate them into your life and into your family. Thanks, Alice. so much out of this conversation with Alice and I know that you did too so if you would like to follow Alice and keep up with her writings and recordings you can listen to her on the Ask Alice podcast and also follow her writings on the Rooted Ministry blog thank you again for tuning into the Girl Mom podcast I hope you and yours have a great day